I just finished a series of presentations with you on relationships that we're to have with one another. And today I'm beginning a series on the kind of relationship we are to have with the house of God. I hope by now that you are aware that in my mind and heart, relationships are very, very, very important. Would you bow your hearts together with me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are a majestic God. You are awesome in all aspects of yourself. And we thank you for the many ways that you display yourself to us. We're grateful for this house of worship that you have provided here. And as we begin this series of very important contemplations on behavior in the house of God and realizing how important it is, I'm offering myself as a vessel of fresh and new into your hands at this very moment. Please cleanse me with the washing of the blood of your dear Son. Please anoint with the power of your sweet Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight so that your purpose, your design purpose might be accomplished for each of us as individuals, as families, and as a church collective. Because as I pray and praises for victories I give in Christ's name, amen. amen. There were five boys in my family, and well do I remember the admonition that was given to us either before we left to visit our grandparents or while we were on the way to visit them. The words were, boys, you better behave. In reflecting back on that admonition, I must acknowledge that in my mind and in my heart, it always carried a negative connotation. We were told what we should not and could not do. There was to be no running in a the house. There was to be no yelling. There was to be no arguing. No, 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 no. Well, this series that I'm starting today, titled Behavior in the House of God, will focus on positive practices positive practices that will please our Heavenly Father, and positive practices that will enable you and I as children of our Heavenly Father to experience a more meaningful relationship with Him and a more meaningful relationship in His house during times of assembly for the purpose of worship. In this first session, we are focusing on the local church at worship. I'm convicted in my intellect, and I'm convinced in my emotions that followers of Jesus Christ are to have a special relationship with God and His house. The Apostle Paul addressed this issue, and it's still an issue that is relevant for the generation that you and I are living in. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 
These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest, underscore, behave thyself in the house of God. And then, as if in anticipation of Timothy, his son in the faith, or someone else asking, why is it so important to know how to behave ourselves in God's house? Listen as Paul continued, which is the church of the living God. Have you thought about that? This house of God is the church of the living God. And this house of God, this church of the living God, is to be the pillar and ground of truth. Now, that is a powerful statement, one that it would do us well to contemplate on more often. It was very interesting for me to discover when I was preparing this presentation that the word behave is a very interesting word. It literally means to know how to conduct oneself. So, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying through the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit that Heavenly Father wants each of us to know how to conduct ourselves in His house, how we are to behave. This concept was not new for the early church. It was a concept that was ingrained in every aspect of the relationship Israel was to have with God and with the tabernacle and later the temple. And as we read in the Bible of that relationship, we discover that there were certain practices they were encouraged to engage in. We also discover that there were certain practices they were discouraged to engage in. You see, God was not only explicit in giving instruction for the construction of the tabernacle and temple, God was also explicit in giving instruction for the people concerning their relationship with that tabernacle and with that temple. Having said that, it's very sad to read that the relationship between Israel and the house of God was not always that which glorified God. And how it must have pained Jesus, God's Son, to observe that relationship as He walked on this earth. You see, the relationship between Israel and between the house of God had deteriorated to such a degree that Christ was compelled to address the situation on at least two, situation, uh, two occasions. He did it in the beginning of His earthly ministry, and then again as His ministry was coming to a close. Look at John chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. The ministry of Christ is beginning now. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
and found in the temple. Now, where is he? In the temple, right? In the house of God. And he found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. Now, let me stop there and ask you a question. Will you agree with me that Jesus was upset? Would you agree with me on that? You will, won't you? And I want you to notice how his disciples reacted and responded to his words. Look at verse number 17. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of mine house, or thine house, hath eaten me up. And for over three years, Jesus ministered to correct, to change that relationship between Israel and the house of God. He did it with his words, and he did it with his actions. In Matthew chapter 21, the earthly ministry of Christ is coming to a close. Look at verses 12 and 13 of Matthew 21. And Jesus went into the temple of God. Now, where is he? In the house of God, in the temple of God, and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Again, I ask the question, will you agree with me that Jesus was upset? I believe you will agree with me on that, won't you? This is indeed forceful language that Christ used. And why would he use such forceful language? He did so because there was something definitely wrong in the relationship of Israel with the house of God. My brothers and sisters, to turn God's house into a den of thieves is to reveal that there is a lack of understanding and a lack of having a correct relationship with the owner of the house. And who is the owner of the house? Whose house is it? It's God's house. And so when we turn God's house into a den of thieves, it reveals the kind of relationship we have with the owner of that house. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 15. Look at verses 7 and 8. Ye hypocrites. Now, am I smiling? Can you see my teeth? 
how would you respond? How would you react if I just looked at you and called every one of you a hypocrite? Probably wouldn't say too well, would it? But Jesus pulled no punches. Jesus said, you hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What does this statement make? What is it telling us? This statement by Christ definitely tells us that there was something wrong in the relationship between Israel and the house of God. There was the outward verbal expression, but the heart was not where it should be in a relationship with Heavenly Father and with Heavenly Father's house. And it would do us well in the generation that you and I are living in to underscore in our minds and in our hearts verse number 9. Because this is what happens when your heart and my heart is not truly with God. You see, we may give an outward expression with the mouth. With the lips, we may be offering service. But we can also at the very same time be guilty with our heart of not really being in a relationship with God in God's house as God desires. It's one thing to say something with our mouths, but it is something else for our heart to be correct. Now look at Matthew 15 verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Follow me closely. When our heart is far from God, as stated in verse number 8, when our heart is far from God, what we do is vain, even our worship. We can draw nigh to God with our mouths. We can draw nigh to God with our lips. But if our hearts are far from God, what we do is vain. We can honor God with our lips. But if our hearts, I repeat, are far from God, what we're doing is in vain. And I want you to notice the result of a vain worship. Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, will you agree with me that the commandments of men are a replacement for the commandments of God? You will agree with me on that, won't you? Now, having agreed with me on that, let's take it to another logical conclusion. When our worship of God is vain, we have replaced it with another kind of worship. Now, listen to me closely. There are two negative directions in which we go 
when our hearts are far from God and our worship of him is vain. Number one, we can get into a rut. Pastor Dan, what are you saying? When we get into a rut regarding our worship, our worship is robbing him of the true honor he deserves, and we just go through the motions. Am I still smiling? We come to church, we sit, we stand, we kneel. But have we put our whole heart into the worship? Or is it just a rut that we're in? Are we excited about the experience that we're having? Secondly, we can grab for a replacement. Pastor Dan, what are you saying? Our worship is reinventing him as we create a form of worship that is based on an attempt to gratify the flesh with sensationalism. And my brothers and sisters, both of these are happening in the church world today. And we need not cast stones at other denominations and other groups because these two, two things, these two aspects of negative directions are happening even in Seventh-day Adventist Christian churches. And it must not be so. We must be setting the standard. We must be establishing the pace for worship. Look again at Matthew 15 and verse 9. You see, we must not forfeit focus of the fact that they were worshiping did you see that? They were worshiping. May I say it again? They were worshiping, but how were they worshiping? Look at it. In vain they do worship me. That word vain in this passage literally denotes the idea of manipulation. Now, I could preach a real sermon along those lines. It conveys the idea of unsuccessful search. In John chapter 4, there was an encounter that took place between Jesus and a woman of Samaria that illustrates this. I begin reading in John 4, verse 21, and then verse 22. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in the mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship. Now notice, Jesus said she was worshiping. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. My brothers and sisters, it would do us well to underscore in our minds and underscore in our hearts the following words of Jesus recorded in verse 23. Listen intently. But the hour cometh, and now is, 
when the true worshipers… Now, let me stop there and ask you a question. If there were true worshipers, does it not stand to reason that they are also false worshipers? Look at it again. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is so important to Father God that Jesus continued, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is seeking you, and God is seeking me. There are those, again I say, who are worshiping Him with mouths and with lips. But God, Heavenly Father, is seeking those who will worship Him, Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. And then Jesus issued an imperative in verse number 24, underscored for the rest of your life and living, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him can choose. Is that, is that what it says? No. And Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those are the ones Heavenly Father is seeking to worship Him, and you and I must do it. Now, follow me closely. True worship and a sincere relationship with God and His house always brings results. May I repeat that? True worship of God and a sincere relationship with His house always brings results. I want to go back to Matthew 21 where we were a few minutes ago. And I want us to notice this principle. Now, as we're returning to Matthew 21, I want to reestablish the context and the setting. Jesus is in the temple of God. He has just declared after going through those things of making the, you know, casting out, He has just declared that they have made God's house into a den of thieves. And yet miracles are taking place. Look at Matthew 21, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. The same temple that he declared had become a den of thieves. The Bible records the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he did what? One more time, he did what? One more time, he did what? He healed them. My friends, the money changers could not heal the blind. The money changers could not heal the lame. But Jesus could. Jesus could heal the blind and Jesus could heal the lame. Why could Jesus perform miracles there in that den of thieves? Why? Because Jesus had a correct relationship with Heavenly Father and a correct relationship with the house of His Heavenly Father. You see, the, that positive relationship 
brought about positive results. And I believe with all my mind and all of my heart that the same kind of positive results can take place today in the house of God when you and I have a right relationship with God and we have a right relationship with God's house. Because my Bible says Jesus has not changed. He's the same today as he was yesterday and he'll be the same tomorrow as he is today. Now look at verse number 15 of Matthew 21. And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful, underscored, the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Brothers and sisters, when a correct behavior in the house of God is learned, and a correct behavior in the house of God is practiced, wonderful things will transpire, and they will transpire because Jesus is doing them through us. What kind of wonderful things? Wonderful things like the salvation of the lost. Wonderful things like peace to the bereaved. Wonderful things like hope to the hopeless. Wonderful things like healing for the sick. Is there anybody else here besides me that would like to be a part of that kind of worship experience? Wonderful things happened, and wonderful things can still happen. However, it's important to note that not everyone was pleased. Not everyone was happy with the wonderful things that transpired. And the displeasure was actually experienced and expressed by who? The religious leaders. Matthew not only recorded that they were displeased, he recorded that they were sore displeased. Now listen to me carefully. Behaving in the house of God does two things. It makes God happy, and it makes the enemy of God and the enemy of the human family unhappy. May I repeat that? Behavior in the house of God makes God happy, but at the same time, it makes the enemy of God unhappy. In conclusion, How can we rob God relative to worship? How can we turn God's house into a den of thieves? We do so by failing to worship in true sincerity in His house. The Apostle Paul had to deal with this issue in regard to the church at Corinth. They're assembling together violated proper behavior in the house of God, and the Apostle Paul wrote with tremendous concern these words in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26, 33, and 40, let all things be done unto edifying, for God is not the author of confusion, 
but of peace. Where? As in all churches of the saints. Let all things be done decently and in order. So what's he saying? In all the churches of the saints, we need to know how to conduct ourselves and how to behave so that God will be glorified and we will be edified. In this series of sermons on behaving in the house of God, we are going to explore some principles that will better enable us to experience a true recognition of God and His house. We're going to look at them not necessarily in the order of importance, but in the context of our order of worship that is used by many churches. A typical Sabbath order of worship can vary from church to church. But there are some general rules that always include certain areas of participation. One of them is attendance at the place of worship. Will you agree with me that it is impossible to worship in God's house if we don't go to God's house? I'm going to be talking about that next week. The order of worship always includes worship and praise, songs and hymns. It includes worship and prayer, prayer for local and world needs, prayer for our immediate service that we end, prayer for the speaker, presenter. It includes worship and stewardship, returning a faithful tithe and free will offerings and special project support. And then it includes worship in proclamation, the preaching and teaching from God's Word. And in the upcoming Sabbath, we're going to take the magnifying glass of God's Word, and we're going to hold it over each of these areas, and we're going to allow Scripture to be the commentary, the commentary concerning how behavior in the house of God, and true worship involves our attendance. We're going to look at how behavior in the house of God and true worship involves our praise. We're going to look at how behavior in the house of God and true worship involves our prayers. We're going to look at how behavior in the house of God and true worship involves our finances. And then we're going to look at how behavior in the house of God and true worship involves our attention to the teaching and preaching of God's Word. And in that context, I will deal with some issues that really have concerned me for years. Because you see, paying attention to, to God's Word not only involves the immediate setting of what I'm doing now, it involves getting ready for it and then how we leave after the Word of God is shared. When we bring in the Sabbath, we deal with the fringes of the Sabbath, don't we? Well, there are fringes of paying attention to the Word of God. And my prayer is that this sermon series will enable each of us as individuals and all of us as a church collective 
to experience wonderful things in God's house. Spiritual blessings and physical blessings. You see, wonderful things, I repeat, can still happen in God's house. When we allow Jesus, as implored in Hebrews 10, verse 21, to be the high priest over the house of God. Is that your desire? To allow Jesus to be the high priest over University Parkway 70 Adventist Christian Church? I believe it is. Father God, thank you for giving to us this wonderful place of worship. And Father, we want to come to a better understanding as we're moving into the closing hours of earth's history, how we can behave in your house to receive all of the benefits, all of the wonderful things you desire for us to experience while we are present in an atmosphere of worship. Thank you, Father for what we've already experienced and what awaits us as we turn our attention to our great high priest. In Jesus' name I pray and give you praises. Amen. Amen. Father, we sense that we have been drawn near to you during this time of worship. Near to you as we sang, as we prayed, as we gave, as we listened. And now as we depart this sanctuary, may we do so in reverence, knowing that you will always be near to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.